It's Friday night, which means it's time for another episode of the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Ashley. And I'm Patricia. Last time, we celebrated a one year of the Friday Night Nicktoons podcast with a look at the Fairly Odd Parents movie, Abracatastrophe. We also had two Twitter polls because we had two episodes last week. First, we asked if you thought Schools Out the musical was very good or very bad. And very bad won with 71% of the vote. And we'll get into that in just a second, but we also, in our second Twitter poll, asked you which of our Fairly Odd Parents May Movie Marathon movies was your favorite. Channel Chasers got the most votes by far, with around 70%. Confusingly, Schools Out the Musical got second place, and Abracatastrophe, Ashley and Mine's favorite, was dead last with 9% of the vote. Patricia, I need to know your thoughts on these Twitter polls. Okay, um, just a little bit of a confession. I do admit that pretty much half of the songs in Schools Out the Musical is pretty cringeworthy when looking back on it, but you, I mean, you have to give it credit that it's trying to attempt of being a musical because, I mean, I can give it an A for effort for that, but other than that, I mean, let's see. I, I think that the plot is really ridiculous with Flappy Bob and, you know, the Pixies and all that stuff. It's pretty ridiculous but there are some genuinely really sweet moments there and just timmy as president is just hilarious because i mean a 10 year old kid who has the power to do whatever he wanted i mean come on that's just you, you that's just something that you have to laugh at but yeah I, this um schools out the musical is not one of my favorites of the nicktoon movies even though that i'm a huge fan of musicals Interesting. I loved it, even on my rewatching, and Ashley did not. It's the most we've disagreed on anything in the show. Uh, I acknowledge, you're right, there are songs that are totally cringeworthy. We both hate when Timmy sings in that high-pitched register. It's just hard to listen to. And the plot is completely ridiculous, but I love the songs themselves, and I, I do like the plot, although we poked a million holes in it last week. <laughs> Yeah, there's holes in all of the plots of all the movies. I was more surprised with the, the Abercatastrophe number being so low. I felt like that one was, I guess, it's less popular than I thought. I don't know. It just, I just, maybe it's a nostalgia thing, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed our rewatch of that. Probably because Channel Chasers is what many people consider to be the best of the Fairly Odd Parents movies. Yeah, that's fair. And I kind of felt that going in, but when I we watched all three of them so close together, I just, I, to me, Abracatastrophe comes out slightly on top. I think it's a better plot. It's a little all over the place, but I don't know. To each their own. Maybe because the um, TV movie of Channel Chasers was probably the closest thing that the Fairly Odd Parents got to an ending. True. You know, sure, it's been airing a lot less ever since it's moved to the Nicktoons network. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, I think that this is probably the most satisfying ending we will ever get. And considering that it's been on seasonal rot for many years, I guess this is why, for some people, they actually see it as a really good movie. Plus the TV parodies and, you know, getting to meet older Timmy and seeing Vicky as, like, a really evil villain kind of stuff. It's actually pretty interesting. Definitely a little bit more darker than your typical Fairly Odd Parents movie movie or even special totally you know i'll give it that i love channel chasers don't get me wrong yeah yeah and i guess to abra catastrophe being last could mean that it was second place for a lot of people do you know what i mean like we we didn't ask them to rank them it's just what your favorite is and we're both aware that people either love or hate schools out the musical so either you're gonna put it first or you're gonna want nothing to do with it right <laughs> hey at least it's a lot better than the live action movies 
Oh, Lord. Those are not on our schedule. Exactly. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, this week we are bringing back Patricia from Old School Lane. We've been having an absolute blast with her on our spinoff podcast, We're In Between. And uh, welcome, Patricia, and it's great to have you back. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. And I'm really excited to be talking about today's topic because um, as of the time of this recording, I am about to do my fourth mini series of a podcast series that I do called Nick Smissel, where I talk about the topic that we're going to be discussing about. And this will be the last one. So I'm really glad to get you guys into the bare basics of what uh, the, there are. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Thanks, Patricia. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Now let's get started. So uh, today's topic, if you guys didn't read the title of the podcast, we're discussing about rejected Nicktoons pilots. So uh, Casey and Ashley have discussed for the past year various uh, episodes of Nicktoons, but there have been moments in which uh, a person would pitch an idea for a a TV show or a spinoff series, and for some reason or another, it didn't get picked up. And the first one we're going to be talking about is called The Modifiers. And this would have came out in 2007. It was created by Chris Riccardi and Lynn Naylor, who both worked on The Ren and Stimpy Show. Now, the pilot features a female protagonist by the name of Agent Zero. And she stole the all-seeing eye, which can be able to grant you any wish that you desire. And all of a sudden, when the henchman finds out that one of the henchmen of Baron Vane just so happens to be Agent Zero, he decides to steal it back. Uh, and along the way, Agent Zero and her sidekick decide to go back and steal the all-seeing eye right before Baron Vane gets it in his clutches. Yeah, this was really cool. My first takeaway just reading about it was I love that her name is Agent Zero with an X. <laughs> like, Zero spelled with an X is so interesting to me. The animation style is so unique. You guys will have to cut me off because I could rant for days about how upsetting the reason why this show didn't get greenlit is. Trust me, we will definitely get to that later on. Because it's even, so upsetting. It's really, really upsetting. But yeah, we'll get to that. It's Mae Whitman, right? The voice of Katara? Yes. That's awesome. The, if this pilot would have been picked up, Mae Whitman would have been in three Nicktoons. She would have been in Avatar, TMNT 2012, and The Modifiers. Well, and then Legend of Korra, right? I think she had a small part. Mm, yeah, I think she did have a small part, but I'm talking about but like not as at a the major. Same time. Yeah, not at the, around the same time, but I'm talking about like a major right. character. Got it, got it. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed this one. It had really interesting art style that I was feeling. The animation style was kind of unique. Me and Casey were talking about how it kind of feels like a little bit like Teenage Robot, a little bit like Fosters, but it's not really any of them. It's got a very unique feel to it. Loved the music throughout. Uh, the You know, I feel like, is the plot the most interesting thing that's ever happened? Maybe not, but it felt like there was a lot of places where it could go with it. Oh yeah, I think that it had the potential to have so many cool adventures. So yeah, I guess we can get things started. So the uh, the uh, the pilot begins with uh, one of Baron Vane's henchmen by the name of Rat, and he steals the all-seeing eye from the Museum of Odd Stuff. And while he steals it, and he rushes over to the lair 
we see one of uh, Baron Vane's henchmen, which is named Lacey Shadows, who kind of has like this really cool kind of Cockney accent. And, you know, she's really curious. She's like, hey, what you got there, rat? And rat is basically trying to hide it. But Lacey Shadows is not fooled with it. And so she gets the all-seeing eye from him. And then when we finally find out who Lacey Shadows is, it happens to be the main protagonist, Agent Zero, who is actually working as a double agent. Yeah, I, I love the concept of her doubling, uh, go, sort of going undercover as this double agent. It's, uh, it is really exciting, and it's kind of confusing at first, or maybe I'm just slow, but I was like, wait a minute, is that Agent Zero? And it, it, it totally is. I, her introduction, I think, is really cool, the way that we are introduced to her as you know, one character, we find out that she's another, and then she kind of goes into the, uh, you know, synopsis of the show from there, sort of just opens it up and explains what everything is. But I think it's a cool sort of dramatic finding in that, like, oh, hey, I guess this person who looks completely different is also this person. It's it's fun. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. So we go to, so we get into Agent Zero's main lair, and we see her alongside with her sidekick, uh, whose name is Mole, and kind of like a cute little robot. And what's really interesting about this is that um, they both have different agendas. Mole wants to be able to return the all-seeing eye over to their main supervisor, but Agent Zero wants to keep it for a little bit. She's really curious about it, and they start having this bicker towards one another. I think I may have heard someone once talk about how nowadays in cartoons, every time there's a duo, they always seem to have the same thought process, but here we have two characters who are working together as protagonists, but they have much different agendas. They have pretty much nothing in common. So we do see this kind of cute little argument between them. And then we have Rat trying to sneak in and he finds out that um, Agent Zero, I mean, uh, that Lacey Shadows is Agent Zero. And so he tries to seal the all-seeing eye. And then we have all these kind of wacky hijinks happening to him. What I thought was really clever about this entire episode is things are foreshadowed quickly and clearly. Like, uh, we, we see that the ring is important when she drops it earlier on in the episode, and then she drops it again, and it's a significant plot point at the end. That sort of continuity, to me, shows that this show would have been really smart and economic in its storytelling, and I, I'm upset that uh, we ne- the reason why we never got to see it greenlit. Yeah, and I, I think, too, that how we kind of see the to-be-continued, it kind of leads us to think there's going to be this fun continuity thing, which I know... We talk about, um, as told by Ginger, we always love how there's, like, an actual plot going on in there. And, you know, things like um, The Last Airbender, like, we've got these through lines that are really exciting. And I feel like this show would have probably still been the sort of thing where you could pick up any episode and watch it. But I like the idea that, you know, they leave you wanting to figure out more about the story as well. So when Rat steals the all-seeing eye and eventually... Agent Zero and Mole find out that it's missing. They go over and they chase Rat, and they and it's this really nice chase scene. I really enjoyed the chasing a lot. And then when finally we see Baron Vane, he's like this deliciously over the top bad guy, and he would have been a he would have been a really fun villain if um, the show would have been greenlit. And then we see um, Agent Zero disguising herself back as Lacey Shadows and kind of tricking. Um, you know, rat into thinking that he has the all-seeing eye, but she actually switched it off for, like, this round sphere that she got from a statue that she crashed in earlier. 
And so Raddus looks like a complete idiot. And then Agent Zero and uh, Mole get away with the all CNI. But of course, like you mentioned earlier, we do have this cliffhanger in which um, Agent Zero accidentally dropped her ring and Baron Vane and Rat find it. And it would have probably been, you know, there probably would have been another episode in which maybe Agent Zero had to get it back or something like that. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, we never get the conclusion of the pilot. Yeah, so to uh, to keep things moving along, maybe let's just get it out of our system. The whole, why was it canceled? Should it, or why was it not greenlit? Should it have been greenlit? Uh... Maybe we'll just go down to panel, starting with one of you two. Uh, it was rejected by the publisher, despite its positive reviews from critics and audiences, but was because it had a female protagonist, and Nickelodeon didn't want any more female protagonists, since none of their programs that featured them became huge hits, compared to shows that had male protagonists. Which is super, super upsetting. I mean, obviously, like, one, I'm a girl, and I would have loved to see more female protagonists in the shows that I was watching. And two, I just think that that's such a dumb reason to not have a show that has such an interesting plot that has so much going for it not become a thing. Because I think, arguably, too, like, things like Teenage Robot maybe not being as big of a deal, I think, is not for the same reason. You know, like, it, I think that's because it's maybe not as good of a show, but I feel like blaming the show is not being good on it being because there were female protagonists. It's kind of stupid and upsetting. Ugh, I feel like my sentences are getting incoherent, but yeah, that was really upsetting to read. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be the last time that Nickelodeon almost rejected a pilot or a TV show because it had a female protagonist. They almost didn't do The Legend of Korra because of this reason. Ugh. And you and that was later on too. So you'd hope they would have like learned and gotten better. It is frustrating to me on two levels: one, that the network executives made this choice, and two, that there was a financial incentive for them to make this choice. Like, what are we teaching young boys where they think they can't watch a show about a girl, and why? I don't. I don't know. The reasons behind it are kind of staggering and hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, and what's incredibly ironic and very hypocritical is that a year after this pilot was presented, Nickelodeon created the Mighty Bee, which had a female protagonist. But then again, it, one of the co-creators was um, Amy Poehler, so maybe they yeah. did it because she was getting popular at the time with SNL and Parks and Recreation. So maybe that would happen, but yeah, we wouldn't have a Nicktoon with a female protagonist until Legend of Korra. Yeah, and like I said, I, I wish we could have seen more of it too, because not just because it would have been another show with a female protagonist, but because I think it would have been a genuinely very good show. So um, I think that's about all of my thoughts on this, but you guys can feel free to throw anything else out. I'm good. Shall we move on? Yes. So, um, yeah, so coming up, we're going to be discussing about one of the earliest pilots that was presented to Nickelodeon, which is Thunder Lizards. Our next pilot we're going to be talking about is Thunder Lizard, which was created in the year 1990. And this was presented as one of the pilots that, uh, alongside with the three original Nicktoons, that it was going to be presented for Nickelodeon, but it was cancelled. So um, the pilot is about um, a group of um, dinosaurs known as the Thunder Lizards by the names of um, Dana, Desi, and Billy. And they're going to be performing on stage for a concert, and 
one of their band members named Billy goes over to Mount Fire so he can skateboard. And while the pan and while the agent is completely panicking, we have Billy who's about to fall into a volcano. And then we have this whole conflict of if the Thunder Lizards are actually going to be performing on stage. The pilot was presented by Joey Album, whom uh, if if any of you guys remember from the late '80s, he was the one responsible for creating the doo-wop dino interstitials for Nickelodeon. And maybe for you guys who are a little bit younger, he was the one who did the animated segments on Elmo's World. Oh, really? I watched Elmo's World every morning growing up. I watched it at least a little, not not as much as many, but definitely definitely have memories of it. <laughs> it was my breakfast TV in like kindergarten and first grade. I was more of a Blue's Clues child, but you know. Yeah, so you remember when Elmo would tune in on the TV and he'll be watching something like you're watching the something channel and you see like those animated segments? He was the one who did those. Got it. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, so you can definitely tell the animation style is very similar, except that with looking back on Thunder Lizards, it's a little bit more rougher. Yeah, and this this one too, you can definitely tell it's older just by looking at it, right? The the animation style and things definitely just has sort of like you said a rougher feel to it. Um, this one, I, I don't know, I, I didn't have a strong reaction to it one way or the other. You know, it was cute. We have sort of these dinosaurs and. They're a band, I guess. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I definitely was not as attached to this idea and this concept as I was to the modifiers. You have to remember that this was 1990. This was around the time in which when Nickelodeon was just starting to come up with the idea of let's be able to create our own cartoons, you know, in um, in office. Um, you know, as opposed to, like, acquiring cartoons like Danger Mouse and Count Duckula that they've been doing back in the 80s. So uh, the interesting history about it is that back in 1989, there was um, a there was a Thanksgiving special called Nick's Thanksgiving Fest, and uh, after the success of that, it got Nickelodeon the confidence to create a few pilots, and we'll definitely discuss more about that later on. You know, obviously the three pilots that came out of it were Doug, Rugrats, and the Ren and Stimpy show, and then the fourth one was Thunder Lizards. And Joey Album did have a long history with Nickelodeon, uh, obviously by doing the doo-wop diner in a stitchels, and... Another thing was is that you know even before that he was actually inter he was actually in an interviewed by Leonard Nimoy uh, Spock from uh, Star Trek and he was the host of a early 80s Nickelodeon show called Standby Lights Camera Action where they would talk about movies that were coming out at the time and Joey Album was interviewed when he was getting out of college discussing about a, um, a thesis film that he did. And, you know, later on, he would, you know, be part of the commercial interstitials for Nickelodeon. So he had a long history with the network. Interesting. Yeah, it, this one's a weird one. You know, it was my least favorite of the three. But, you know, like you mentioned, we have to consider just how much earlier this was than the other pilots. And uh, you think of, like, early Doug animation and those original three. But isn't it funny, Ashley, to think that in our original three episode, we could have had, you know, like, Doug, Rugrats, and Thunder Lizards? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think on this one, too, I'm trying to think. If, if I were to get rid of one of the original three to put Thunder Lizards in, which would it be? And I think probably Doug then, right? I'd go with if I had to get had to cut one out. Anyways, I'm just trying to think, think of what the world would be like. Um, 
Oh, trust um, me. I, I'll give you some more options later. So, yeah, um, the episode basically begins with the concert, and we have the agent coming by and talking to the Thunder Lizard, saying, you know, you guys are going to be performing in a few minutes, and he tells to Billy, Billy, don't get lost, don't wander around. And Billy, because he's the youngest, and he's the cool skater, hip dude, he sees that there's a poster for... Um, you know, saying skate at Mount Fire. And he just says, okay, I'm going to skate at Mount Fire. And then Desi and Dana are panicking because Billy is lost and they don't know where he is. One of their uh, assistants named Peter, who's a pterodactyl, and he's kind of like a hipster pterodactyl. He's just laid back and he just says, oh yeah, I saw him. He was, uh, Billy was going over to Mount Fire to do some skateboarding. And then they hear on the radio saying there's a, a big, um, you know, there's going to be a huge volcanic eruption over at Mount Fire. And so Peter flies over and he saves Billy from a rolling boulder, Indiana Jones style. And so he flies him back into the concert in time and then they perform. And yeah, it's that's pretty much it. It's only a five minute pilot. It's the shortest one of the three. Yeah, and the, I do love the song. <laughs> it's so 60s. It's so fun. It reminds me of Ripped Pants a little bit. And the vocal arrangements are kind of tight and fun. I don't know. I always need to geek out about the like song music in Nicktoons, and I, I thought it was really charming. Yeah, definitely better than any of the uh, songs in School's Out. I'll give it that. Hey, 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 Flappy Bob, and we're Pixies, and uh, Unfundamentals, and Jorgen's Polka. Come on, doesn't get better than that. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this one, like I said, I, so I think it probably would have been able to fit into being a Nicktoon, and it probably would have done its job, yeah. But I, I don't feel quite the same tragic loss as I do about the other two as to like, oh, we don't get to see what the show would have been. I think I think it would have been fine, is what I think. And I think that's kind of all the originals really needed to be, right? They needed to break this ground and stuff. I think I'm okay with it not having been a full show. Like, personally, I feel at rest with that choice. Yeah, so let's discuss about the reason why it didn't get picked up. The reason why this didn't get picked up was because according to... Um, a viewing, uh, they called it juvenile. They said it was kind of like, you know, it was for kids. So it wasn't exactly like a major success compared to the other Nicktoons. They thought it was just, you know, like, you know, it was juvenile for their tastes. Yeah, I guess I could see compared to like sort of the other shows have a little bit more of not even necessarily adult humor, but they probably appeal more to adults, right? Like the Rugrats who've got uh, the parents and everything. So I can see that. Yeah, and I did interview Joey Album a few months ago on my podcast, and we did talk about this. And, you know, he just said that even though that the pilot was a lot of fun to do, you know, when it came to, like, the results of what the kids thought when they were, you know, doing screen tests, he said that it didn't, you know, turn out as well as he had hoped. But, you know, he did still have a fun time doing it. And it definitely is very reminiscent of those old doo-wop diner interstitials that he used to do back then. You can definitely tell from the animation and the, the fact that they're dinosaurs playing music or singing songs. So it's definitely apparent. So, yeah, I mean, as for me, this is not a major loss for me either. I did enjoy the pilot, and I thought that, you know, even though that it would have been for a more younger audience compared to the other pilots that were presented, um, I thought it was pretty cute. I mean, sure, I don't think it would have had a massive legacy compared to the ones that we did get. I, I liked it okay. Uh, I, uh, we'll definitely discuss more about it later, but overall, this wasn't a major loss for me either. Yeah, I feel similarly. It was cute. It felt more like a... Like you said, one of those interstitial sort of things than a show within it uh, within itself. Um, so that's that's all I've got on this one. 
All right, well, then, so coming up, we'll be concluding this podcast with discussing about the most infamous Nickelodeon pilot that was rejected, Constant Pain. Our final pilot we'll be discussing about is called Constant Pain. It was created in 2001 by Michael Wright, who was one of the writers of The Angry Beavers. And the pilot is about a young teenage girl by the name of Amanda Payne and her father named Dr. Payne. And it starts off with her going to school and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, there is a, um, there's a blimp that's being hijacked. And it turns out that it's done by um, the main villain, who's actually her uncle, which is um, Walton Payne Smythe. And um, Dr. Payne comes by, he uh, gets into action, and he defeats his brother. And, you know, it's basically a whole bunch of action, while at the same time, Amanda trying to get to school on time. I want to talk about the intro first. The intro is so reminiscent of Cowboy Bebop. Yes, I was thinking that too, actually. I love Cowboy Bebop, and I could talk about that forever, but that's obviously not what we're here for. But, (laughs) yeah, it's got that cool, cool, exciting feeling to it, just sort of the beats and stuff fit into that. The animation style is similar and gets me pumped in the same way that Cowboy Bebop does. Yeah, man, it's really exciting. And it it reminds me of the Archer theme a little bit, too. Which, yeah, Archer, I would say, is also very, very similar to the Cowboy Bebop theme, which I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. But if you watch it, you'll you'll see the similarities immediately if you watch it. Does it have that sort of James Bond, Mission Impossible feel to it? Yeah, very much. Nice. Yeah, super fun. They, it, the animation reminded me of the Totally Spies animation, the Cartoon Network show, but I don't, I couldn't find any relation between the two shows, so uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I mean, this show, it, it definitely feels like it was trying to be like an anime, which at the time, Toonami was becoming a popular thing in Cartoon Network, and they were showcasing a lot of anime, like Cowboy Bebop and Yu Yu Hakusho and Dragon Ball Z. And Nickelodeon wanted to have their own take on an anime, kind of like an American anime, which would definitely be like kind of ahead of its time because throughout the early 2000s, there would be a lot of cartoons that would try to be like the next anime, like um, Shaolin Show down or teen titans or avatar the last airbender kind of have like that american anime feel to it right yeah and ashley made a brilliant call uh she commented that oh this music feels a little like jimmy neutron to me and we waited for the credits and lo and behold it was uh charlie Brissett, the same guy who did the music for jimmy neutron so that was really interesting Yep, and he also did the music for Angry Beavers as well, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, both Micah and Charlie worked on Angry Beavers. That does make sense, but it certainly doesn't sound like similar worlds, so that's a credit to his versatility. Yeah, definitely this one I could feel the similarities. I don't I don't know exactly. I guess more the the, you know, the action-packed scenes of Jimmy Neutron than the uh you know, like the little chill at home kind of music that plays around. So I don't know exactly what tipped me off to it, but I could definitely hear that. Angry Beavers, I did not hear at all. That was surprising to me. Yeah, this is a pilot that we actually discussed about earlier in We're In Between because Aspen Vincent, who's the voice of Dodie, is the voice of Amanda. Yeah, no, I, I'm obsessed with Aspen. I listen to that interview like every couple weeks. <laughs> she's she's so great. And it's really great in this too. Totally different character from Dodie. You can hear the similarities, but I don't know if I would have picked it up. 
Yeah, I think knowing that it was her, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Kind of kind of like a lot of things, I feel like, when I know that it's Great Delisle, I'm like, oh, sure. But if you didn't tell me, I never in my life would have pegged it. Um, sort of in a similar vibe to that. But, yeah. Yeah, doing, doing FNN has ruined cartoon watching for me, because I now spend half of every episode of every new show uh, obsessing over where I've heard a certain voice actor before. Trust me, you'll get used to it. <laughs> so yeah, we have Amanda who wants to drive the car, or in this case, it's a floating blimp because, uh, you know, I don't know if it's in the future or if it's in an alternative world, but uh, yeah, so she wants to drive so she can be able to get to school on time. And we see Dr. Payne doing an experiment. He's trying to create a potion that way he can be able to have rice grow in sand so that it can fill, uh, feed millions of people all over the world. And while doing that, they see that there is another blimp that's being hijacked. And it's done by Welton Payne Smythe, who happens to be his brother and Amanda's uncle. And he's the bad guy in the series. So we have Dr. Payne uh, flying over. There's a lot of action scenes going on, which this was completely different than any other Nicktoon at the time. Had this been picked up, this would have been incredibly groundbreaking because there, I mean, at the time, you know, we, you know, when you guys discussed about, you know, looking back at some of the Nicktoon episodes, there were no action scenes. Um, you know, you had... Um, you know, Doug, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, um, Our Real Monsters, Rocket Power, Angry Beavers, Wild Thornberries, um, you know, all these shows, they didn't have any action scenes. So seeing punches and kicks and stuff like that was just, this would have been a game changer for Nickelodeon. And so we have Dr. Payne approaching uh, his brother and... Um, you know, he's acting all evil and stuff, and he has, like, this huge plan. And and also, it, it, it would have answered probably a few more questions about, like, how he was responsible for the death of his wife. And um, also, you know, what his plan would have been probably would have carried on through the series. And we see Amanda flying the blimp and trying to make sure that it doesn't crash. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening in this pilot. Yeah, and a lot of exciting things, too. Just the, the whole dynamic of... Having, you know, his brother be the bad guy and they kind of have that fun dialogue, I think is really cool. And the the way that, I don't know, just the way that they're dealing with each other is neat. And I I definitely feel like this one had a lot of really cool places to go with it. Having that dynamic and then having sort of, you know, the, her dealing with all of this stuff while still going to school and still, you know, wanting to drive and all of those things and having that play out, um... Definitely, I think, could have been a great show. I love the brother rivalry from the dad and the uncle. And uh, this whole, it feels kind of like the exes, like, ever so vaguely. I'm a fan, and this this is the one I would pick if I were to greenlit green light one of these three. As for me, I, pro- I personally would have greenlit the modifiers because I thought it was a really cool idea of a secret agent with a mixture of action and beautiful animation and comedy, so I would have greenlit that personally. Constant Pain, um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have Constant Pain, uh, Pain greenlit as well. But I think that um, the modifiers just edges out, but just a little bit. Yeah, and then do you know, Trisha, why this one didn't? Oh, boy. Ooh, oh, yeah. There's, there's we a, do. We do. Yeah, there is a lot. essentially. Oh, right. I see that. I see that now. No, right, there's, that's right, not right. the only reason. I mean, obviously the 9-11 one. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and explain that one, Casey? 
Yeah, so well, the quote I have is that the pilot tested well but never made it to series because the events of 9-11 made the network skittish about producing a series where the main character's mother was killed by terrorists bent on world domination. That's a really valid reason, I think. Yeah, that is one reason, but then there's another, and it's gonna infuriate some of you. So... Okay, so this was back in the time in which when Nickelodeon Animation Studios was kind of a lot smaller, and Michael Wright noticed that the writers and the animators weren't getting paid very well, and so he approached Nickelodeon saying, can you please raise, uh, you know, give a raise to these artists who are pretty much working for less than nothing? And Nickelodeon said no, and so basically they kind of let uh, Michael Wright go, and yeah, he basically, uh, yeah, basically that you know they uh, Nickelodeon apparently, from what I heard, even threatening him, saying that he would never work in animation ever again. So yeah, basically it's just Nickelodeon kind of wanting to work on their, um, wanting to have the animators work for cheap. Which, you know, at the time, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that they, a lot of the animation that they were doing was done by other networks, especially Klasky Chupo. They were like the main animation company back in the day. So th since it was done, uh, since it was, you know, it was going to be done in-house by Nickelodeon, it was going to be something completely different. So yeah, that's another major reason. But yeah, the 9-11 one is also um, a bigger reason as well. Fascinating. Well, that's pretty much all my thoughts on this. Yeah, and uh, easily, and you can find three of these pilots easily online. Just type them up, and yeah, definitely watch them for yourself and uh, share your thoughts uh, on in the comments or on Twitter, or on Facebook. Yeah, they're also really short. So if you are tight on time and haven't been able to watch, you know, the movies that we've been watching recently, none of these are longer than I think ten, eleven minutes. So definitely worth your time. All right, now we're going to start up our conclusion as always, and as we always have a fun fact, we figured, you know, Patricia, with all of the knowledge that she always has, would have something for us, and we were right, so why don't you share that with us? Okay, so as I mentioned earlier when discussing about Thunder Lizards, there were more pilots that were presented over for Nickelodeon. There were actually eight pilots. So we discussed about uh, Thunder Lizards, that was one. Doug, Rugrats, and the Red and Stimpy show, which would have been four. So let's discuss about the other four that didn't happen. Uh, so the first one, which was called the Big Beast Quintet, and this was based off of another interstitial that Nickelodeon used to show in the 80s. If you remember that... Um, the five monsters that would gather up on the TV and they would sing and you know that one uh, that was going to be a TV show and it would have been focusing on them being news reporters they would have presented their a story to their boss but they couldn't find anything so the main leader would have found a story but um, you know he gets himself lost along the way and so he has to get back right before their boss loses his temper and basically the reason why that wasn't picked up was because they thought that kids wouldn't understand the monsters getting jobs and having a boss or something so that was one the second one which would have been called the Crowville Chronicles basically the Crowville Chronicles was going to be about a crow and his sidekick and they were news reporters as well and they were trying to present news that they were going to be posting into the paper they find this hippo in the jungle and they start writing an exaggerated story and then all of a sudden the hippo starts acting really crazy and then they start getting themselves into danger and the reason why they that pilot didn't get picked up was because uh, kids thought it was boring one of them said that they would rather watch the blank wall than watch the pilot Woof, that's cold <laughs> that's like you about sasha 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, the third pilot was called the Weasel Patrol, and it was going to be a bunch of weasels, and they had to stop against the bad guy who was trying to steal rocket fuel so they can be able to use it for an experiment, and that one didn't get picked up because kids didn't think it was interesting. And then the fourth one, which would have been called Trash, which was a stop-motion cartoon about a planet filled with garbage and a superhero who, um, you know, finds these two aliens who landed on the wrong planet wanting to go on vacation, and... Uh, they get themselves arrested due to a misunderstanding, and then the pilot just basically ends in a conclusion, says, to be continued, if you want to. And I guess they didn't. Oh. Well, <laughs> we, in a way, we have carried on the spirit of that show by being trash, as some of your commenters on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> did you see that, Patricia? A few I of them said, I like trash. <laughs> and then someone even commented our names, but with trash puns in reply. Yeah, yeah I was like, Patricia, Trashly. And Cansey. Can <laughs> <laughs> yes. Beautiful. So in total, those were eight pilots presented to Nickelodeon, and in the end, they chose three. Doug, Rugrats, and the Ren and Stimpy show. And according to Vanessa Coffey, um, she thought that these three were absolutely perfect for what they presented, and she even was the one who came up with um, the airing time. She said that Doug was aired first because she saw that Doug was kind of like the vegetables, you know, a very simple slice-of-life cartoon where it had, you know, a boy going through things. Rugrats was the main course, you know, we have a bunch of babies going through their adventures and we see the parents. And the Ren and Stimpy show was the dessert, in which Ren and Stimpy just go on crazy, zany adventures with off-the-wall animation and stuff like that. So, yeah, that is the history of the Nicktoons. All right, well, thank you for that. That is super interesting, and I wonder if those three were the right call. We'll never know. Uh, so our Twitter poll for this week is, which one of these three that we watched do you wish what had been greenlit and turned into an actual show? Yeah, and I'm sure we'll see some interesting responses. Interested, I know we've all sort of discussed where we were at with that, but interested to see where you all lie with that as well. Um, next week, we will be discussing basketball-themed episodes as the NBA Finals are coming up, and so um, that should be really exciting to get a look into those and get back to some of our favorite shows that we haven't watched in a long time. So thanks, as always, you guys, for listening, and we'll catch you next week.